we know that Matthew was written to the Jews to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. Mark was written to the Romans to convince them because of his great power. The Romans were interested in power and demonstration and feats of strength. But then Luke was a physician and he presented Jesus as a physician. But the Gospel of John was written to whosoever will. And in the last verse of the Gospel of John, he sums it up in the most concise, precise words. Here, in the Gospel of John, chapter 21 and verse 25, John, after all he's written and stated and preached and said, says this, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if these should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. His influence. Pray one more time that God will bless your mind and heart to understand what I'm about to say. Lutosha lavarisha lavaraka shataya. Hato kotesha lavareko shataya varaka. Untoto lavarisha lavareko shataka shakataka. Hondo lavarisha tavareko shataka. Hondo lavarisha lavareko shataya varaka. Lord bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> we tonight are apostolic Christians and we know this man called Jesus. Every other religion in the world is based on fable, myth, and imagination. Scientists, for example, live in a world of facts and figures and mathematics, etc. And yet, on Sunday, they all go to church and revert to fable and imaginations. The Japanese, for example, are the most technological people on the face of the earth. In the last 30 years, they have become the most advanced nation in all of this outstanding productions and inventions of computers and all things related to that world. With their tiny hands, their brilliant minds, they have excelled in the world. Yet they worship in myth and fable. The gods of this world have blinded their minds from babyhood on. We have all taken on this type of thinking. For example, in childhood, 
we were taught nursery rhymes. Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Cinderella, Bambi, Batman, Sesame. <laughs> Sesame Street. It's all make-believe. Several years ago, they made a film entitled E.T. A robot received the Academy Award for Best Actor of the Year. Somewhere, a child has got to transfer from myth to fact. Somewhere, a child has got to realize there is no Santa Claus, there is no Easter Bunny. The Greeks were known for their mythology. Drugs came into play in our society, in my lifetime. And it brought people into a state of almost unconsciousness. And uh, they were victims. And they reached some kind of a high, they said. And it destroyed the minds of so many young people. I remember when I pastored years ago on Webster Street in Schenectady, New York, I gave a lot of time to the drug addicts in that area and young people. And I won this one boy to the Lord eventually, but he came and he, 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 he was on the front pew over here one night as I was preaching, and all of a sudden he just curled up on the pew like a little dog, he just curled up and he was sobbing. And my people knew how to work with me, so they just didn't worry what I did. I just left everything and ran down to him and got on my hands and knees in front of him. I said, I said, so what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, Brother Strunking, I can't think. I just can't think. And I took a hold of him and prayed and worked with him. Uh, people, I thank God that we know what we know about the reality of this man called Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is real and he is factual. I was working with a drug addict and he really was a drug addict. He was really into it. And uh, I won him to God. I won his whole family, actually. But this boy had never, ever opened a Bible, ever, in his life. But the night he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with tongues, I was with him. He crawled to the front pew where he had been seated and took a hold of a Bible for the first time in his life and opened it. And he came to this verse... 2 Samuel 23, 2, the spirit of the Lord God spake by me and his word was in my tongue. I'm convinced this Jesus will turn the world upside down for you if he knows you want to find him. He will go to extreme limits. For example, you look around here tonight, you all look so respectable, so wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, a credit to society. But 
many people would never guess where some of you have come from. They would never know. They would never believe it. You know why? Because it's all been covered over by the blood of Jesus. It's all been covered over by the blood of this man called Jesus. That is shouting material right there. He deserves a standing ovation, a clap, a shout. He deserves a lifting of your voice. This man called Jesus. Oh, We represent the greatest cause in the entire world. One poet became so impressed with Jesus, he wrote a poem entitled The Old Violin. That poem ends with these words, and many a man with life out of tune and battered and torn by sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. But the master comes, and the crowd can never understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Another poet wrote a bit of prose and poetry entitled One Solitary Life. At the end of that, it concludes with these words, 19 wide centuries have come and gone. And I am far within the mark when I say that all the kings that ever reigned, all the navies that ever came into existence, all of the greats that have reigned, kings and queens, have not affected the life of man as powerfully upon this earth as has that one solitary life. We know this one solitary life to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are visiting here tonight, you must understand this is why we clap. This is why we lift our hands. This is why we shout. This is why we run. This is why we laugh in the spirit. This is why we make no apologies to you or anyone else. Because we were lost and now we are found. And we are on our way to heaven. And that is shouting material every time you walk through the doors into this sanctuary. I don't think we'll ever clap enough. We'll never shout enough. We'll never dance enough. We'll never do anything enough to thank him for even one drop of blood. One songwriter wrote and said he could have called 10,000 angels. One of the things I enjoy so much at Christmas time is to hear a live production of Handel's Messiah. It's one of the most incredible things because when Handel wrote it, and I read something about his life and his composing, etc., he said that this came to him and he could not stop writing. It just flowed like water. The words, every word, every word that is sung in Handel's Messiah is not any 
word except direct quotes from the scriptures themselves. And when it was first presented in London, when he presented it, and they came to the hallelujah chorus at the end, the king was so moved, he jumped to his feet. And when he did, the entire audience stood to its feet. It set a precedent for all time. I don't care where you go to hear Handel's Messiah. If it's in China, Japan, Australia, Europe, this country, whenever the hallelujah chorus begins to be sung, the entire crowd will stand to their feet and just worship in reverence to this man called Jesus. This man called Jesus, this man called Jesus, the mention of his name causes the air to tremble. Devils flee. <laughs> Bach, Liszt, Mozart, Beethoven, people don't realize this. They got their inspiration to write the great scores they wrote and the masterpieces for all time in music. They got the inspiration from the knowledge they had of this man called Jesus. That's where it came from. And they admitted it. This Jesus has been the inspiration for more poems and songs and all the mountains, lakes, dramas, kings, queens that have ever lived. He is a constant stream of inspiration. Kings have bowed at his feet. Peasants by the thousands have named the name of Jesus. Many have volunteered in his army than any other military base has ever been able to attract. More have volunteered into his army. I'm a volunteer. You are a volunteer. More volunteers have come to his army than all the military posts in the entire world. <laughs> He has won so many battles and never fired a shot. I want a boy to God. And uh, we were preaching a tent revival years and years ago now in Schenectady. And the neighbors complained. So the chief of police called me downtown to see what I was doing. <laughs> so I went. But I took an ex-drug addict with me, the same boy I mentioned before. I said, Tommy, go with me. He did. We walked into this chief of police's office. He said he looked the part. Big burly guy, big hands. Looked like a rough character. And I said, Your Honor, I'm here. I'm Reverend Stone King. You've called me to come and to answer some questions. He said, What are you doing over there? 
on that straight corner in that area because I was right in the middle of the Mount Pleasant area. There were seven Roman Catholic churches in that area. In the middle of that, we pitched a tent and we're having church every night with people getting the Holy Ghost and all kinds of things going on. And some of them had complained about the noise. A rock band had been there before. A week before, nobody said anything. He said, what are you doing over there? I said, well, I said, um, I brought a young man with me. I want him to just uh, tell you what Jesus has done for him. And Tommy gave his testimony of how he had been a drug addict into heroin, all of those things. He went through the whole list and how bad off he was. But then when he came to Jesus, that God delivered him. And, the, and Tommy was anointed, and I noticed, because I'm very observant, that, that, that chief of police's his hands were shaking a little bit. He said, uh, he said, uh, nothing, actually. <laughs> and uh, I said to me, Honor, that's what we're doing over there in that tent. You couldn't help him. The jail system couldn't help him. His parents couldn't help him. The schools couldn't help him. Nobody could help him, but Jesus did. You threw him out, but Jesus took him in. And most of us were castaways as far as society is concerned, but this man called Jesus. He called our name and bid us come to him. I'll never forget it. That chief of police was, he was visibly moved. He said, Reverend, go. He said, I'll send police cars every night. I'll patrol the area. We'll protect you. We had police protection for the entire tent revival with no more upheavals. I'm telling you, if you just hang on to the truth, hang on to the truth, Jesus will make a way for you where there is no way. He is a way maker. He is a way maker. Every miracle begins with an impossibility. When the doctor sends you home to die, you've got three months, six months, get your house in order. There's another voice that says, try me, try me. That voice belongs to this man called Jesus because when everything else fails, he is a rescuer. He is a rescuer. He is a deliverer. I have been set free. I have been set free. We have been set free. I am fascinated by the influence he has had in the world. There was a man called William Booth. He's the founder of the Salvation Army. When he started preaching in the streets of London, England, way back there, Queen Mary was in power at that time. Mary was the queen of England at that time. William Booth went out into the streets with his children and began to preach the gospel. And those Londoners came out of those hotels with their chamber pots, human excrement and waste, and threw it on him, dumped it on his head, threw it on his face. 
he did not stop preaching. He continued to preach no matter what they did to him. All of a sudden, God stepped on the scene and people began to repent and cry out to the Jesus that he was preaching on the streets. Revival hit. It spread so rapidly and so powerfully that the brothels began to close. The taverns began to close. Crime was absolutely diminished. The whole city was revolutionized by the preaching of this William Booth. So much so, all his children became missionaries. His daughter went to India as a missionary. This fair-skinned, beautiful young girl went to India by herself to be a missionary. And they had a high rock they put her up on, and she would stand there and preach this gospel. And they weren't interested. But there was an aged man among them, an old Indian grandfather who had a thorn in his foot and they could not get it out because they didn't have instruments, they didn't have tweezers or anything like that. They were just in the wilds of India. But this girl saw this. This man was in pain. She had him be seated and she got down on her knees in front of him, took his foot in her hand and fastened her teeth on the point of that thorn and slowly pulled it out of his foot. When those Indians saw that, they said, this young woman would take the most precious part of her body and touch the sole of a man's foot. We want to know the God that she serves. And revival broke out in the entire area. All of his children were missionaries. Queen Mary of England, when Booth passed away, his funeral was conducted at Westminster Abbey. The Queen of England disguised herself as a peasant woman and came to Westminster Abbey and sat way back there on the back on the end of that pew. No one recognized her. As she was seated there, a woman came in and sat down beside her. She came in late. They carried the coffin with Booth's body in it down that center aisle right by the queen and this woman next to her on the end of the pew. There was one rose that had been laid on top of the coffin the woman whispered to the queen, that rose, I placed that there. I used to be a harlot in the streets of this city, but that man brought Jesus to me and rescued me and saved my life that the queen broke down and began to weep because what her scepter couldn't do what her crown couldn't do, what her authority couldn't do, the man Christ Jesus can do. Yes. 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 Oh. Yes, yes. 
there is a burning desire or should be inside of us to serve him. Something needs to happen for us that has never happened before. Jesus is where it's at. Jesus is where it's at. Jesus is the answer to everything. He is the answer to everything. No matter what the problem is, he is the answer. Jesus is the answer. You have a problem, he has an answer. There is nothing inside of anyone here today that's bigger than Jesus. I repeat myself. It doesn't exist. I don't care what the doctor told you. There's a man called Jesus, the master healer, the healer of all diseases. This Jesus, he told the storm to hush and the wind became silent. He caused the sea to rage no more. He caused the wind to become still. He caused a blind man to see. He called deaf ears. He caused deaf ears to open. He told death to flee. In fact, he turned a funeral procession into a praise service. (laughs) He told leprosy to depart, and it was gone. But yet he said, I thirst, I hunger, I'm weary. But the elements obeyed him. One of my favorite characters in church history is Polycarp. They burned him alive because he believed in one God, this Jesus. And tied to the stake, they said, old man, if you will but recant, we will set you free. His timeless, to me, like immortal words, were these. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he had done me no wrong. No, I will not recant. I will not deny him. (laughs) Michael Savitas, Calvin was behind this one. They burned him at a stake. They put sulfur on his head, according to what I have read, and set it on fire. It took 30 minutes for that sulfur to burn through the skull and touch the brain before he died. He stood there crying out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. He died in the faith. (laughs) I said this before, I'm sure, but I haven't suffered people. I don't know anything about suffering. I know nothing about suffering. I really don't. When you consider what people have paid, the price they have paid for you and me to have what we have here today, I, I don't want to stand beside these people when the rewards are passed out. 
I don't want to stand near these people. I'll be at the back of the crowd somewhere when we get on the other side. I'll sweep the streets. I just want to get through the gates. I want to see Jesus. I don't care about the crowns and all the rest of it. I just want to see Jesus. That is the goal inside of my heart and my life. I remember in Bible school, Sister Norris taught child psychology. It was an incredible class. She was a master teacher. She had a PhD in psychology. She took us to a nursing home where people were much less fortunate than we are because she wanted us to see what can happen to humanity. And I remember my whole class, they took the whole class, we went to this nursing home. I'd never been to any place like it. <laughs> when we walked in, somehow I was at the back of the crowd of students. And um, these people, they had mental problems, very serious, some of them. Obviously not dangerous because they were allowed to be out and move around. But they'd walk up and just touch you as you walk by, just take hold of you. And that was a very different experience for me. But at the back of that group, we walked by what looked like a big baby crib on the floor. And the mattress was on the floor with a, like, looked like a baby crib around it. It was an adult size. And I, I don't know, I just walked over to it. And uh, I took a hold of the, the top rung here, looked over, and there was an old grandmother lying there on that mattress on the floor. And in my way of doing things, I said, can't, can't this Jesus do something for her? And I began to sing a little chorus that I knew the healers coming down the road. The healers coming down the road. He can save and he can heal. Just tell him what you need. Jesus is coming down the road. When I started singing that, the Holy Ghost fell on her. Tears literally shot out of her eyes. She threw her hands in the air and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost on that mattress. Clap a little louder. It's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's for him. I have a goal at this point in my life, and I work with it all the time. I've said, Jesus, help me to get you out of the ink and the paper of the Bible. Help me to get you out of the Bible so that people can look at you, so they can see you, so they can feel you, so they can touch you. Because if they see you, touch you, feel you, they will fall in love with you and they will serve you. People, we've got to get this Jesus out of the ink and the paper of the Bible. He's in you alive and you are his mouthpiece. You are his vocalization to a lost and a 
dying world. Oh. He would not condemn a harlot, yet he allowed man to condemn him. His hands fondled children and touched them and loved them and held them. And yet those same hands picked up a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple. He was the kind of man who told Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me thrice. I'm sure it was just an ordinary barnyard rooster. But when that trumpet of dawn sounded, it awakened in Peter something that drove him to tears and repentance. What trumpet of dawn will God have to blow in our lives to get our attention, to bring us from this world that is cascading into hell? God help us. God help us, people. God help us. Lift your hands and let your voice out. There's a powerful reaching of the Holy Ghost. How many of us think he's worth living for, dying for? What do you think of this man called Jesus who took our sins away, who delivered us from the clutches of the devil, who took away our emptiness, took away our loneliness, delivered us from drugs, alcohol, drinking, immorality. What do you think of this man called Jesus that has such power and such authority? Years ago, I went to a place called Martha's Vineyard. I was asked to come there by a Jewish boy that had been converted to this apostolic truth and doctrine. His name was Gary. And he knew about me. He asked me to come to Martha's Vineyard. It's across from uh, Hyannisport, where the Kennedy family lived and that type of thing. So I drove there from where I lived, and I went to preach this weekend revival in Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard is a place where Great movie stars have summer homes there. Martha Graham has a summer home there. I saw it. A lot of very famous people live there. They have residences there. In the middle of that environment, we were in a, a rented facility, all he could find. It was an old, like, Gothic church of some kind, and they had a high circular altar rail out here in the front, and the platform up high, as was there standards of worship and format. Anyway, 
<clears throat> I was there preaching. What was interesting to me is that each night, about 15 minutes after the service started, there'd be six or seven or eight people walk in about 15 minutes after the service started. Well, I know and understand in humanity, among the elite people, they always arrive about 15 minutes late. They do it purposely. So they would come in, but they were dressed very casually, but I could tell by looking at them, just watching, that they were from the elite society of that area, and maybe the whole country. So I got used to that after. About the third, fourth night, <clears throat> there were some people came in, and um, the woman had on this magnificent silver and gold brocade dress, beautiful, high, blonde hairdo, the man beside her, um, wore glasses, two or three others with them, they sat down. So I knew that they were someone prominent. But I preached and did what I do. And uh, people, they, they were moved by God, the whole place. There was a great move of God. There were a number of people who got the Holy Ghost in that meeting. But anyway, when I came to the end, I felt to do this. I came down off the platform and I came around this, this high altar railing, circular, and I walked down a few steps and I pointed to the lady that had this magnificent silver and gold brocade dress on. And at that point, they were standing. And I said to her, I said, please come. She just, without hesitation, she walked right out. She walked right down toward me. Well, when I got to her, I began to pray for her, for she fell to the floor. Well, I knew she was all right, but I didn't know if she knew she was all right, because this is the Holy Ghost, and this is what we know. So I got down on the floor, and it, the boards were old. It wasn't a, a clean place, that, you know, really fancy. And already the tears, there were two puddles of tears on those old boards. And I got down on my knees in front of her. I said, are you all right? She said, oh, yes. She said, Reverend, I've looked for this all of my life. There are so many people out there that have been looking for what you and I have all of their lives. <clears throat> I said, well, let me pray for you. God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She began to speak with tongues. It was absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Well, <clears throat> I said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Would you like that? She said, oh, yes. Just like that. Well, it was a home missionary setting. They had a horse tank over here that we watered cattle with on the farm in Iowa, just a big oval thing, you know, like they use on farms. And that's all they had. And it was not in the spring. The water was cold. There's one thing about baptizing people in cold water. They come out of it with stammering lips. <laughs> so you're pretty close to the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
So she said, I want to be baptized. I said, well, we have a cha- we'll have a change of clothes over there for you. And uh, they'll help you. So she, it was amazing. She called her friend up, okay. And um, <laughs> she reached up to this hairdo and lifted it off her head. It was a hair, it was a hair piece. <laughs> and gave it to her friend. <laughs> and turned and walked over here to get baptized. While she was getting ready for that, I walked back to her husband. I assumed it was her, and it was. I think his name was Eddie Haywood. He was a great jazz concert pianist in New York City, famous. And they had come to this particular meeting. And I said to him, I said, Eddie, look, your wife has received something called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't be afraid. Everything is going to be all right. He said, it's fine. I'm not worried at all. I said, great. So I went back. They baptized her in Jesus' name. She came out of that water speaking with tongues. At the end of that service, I got her phone number. And I stayed in touch with her. I called her oh, once every two or three days. And every time I talked to her, she said, Brother Stone King, I'm still speaking with tongues. 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 People, I've talked to you for two nights about I am a believer. I am a believer. You are believers. This is the power we have in this man called Jesus. In your way of doing things, for just a moment, just lift your hands and entertain him any way you want to. But let your voice out, because the Holy Ghost, this Jesus, is speaking to us individually and as a conglomerate. In this country, which surprised me, I was working in altar service one day. It was in Connecticut. And there was a girl standing, and she was crying. And I walked over to her and said, may I, can I, may I help you some way? She said, Brother Stone King, is it possible that the Jesus you preached died for me? I said, yes, yes it is. He did die for you. Why do you ask? She said, because I saw him hanging on some kind of a wooden structure and I realized that was him and that he had died for me. People, that happened in the United States. We assume people know. They don't know. People do not know.
I walked in a place one day. I sit down just to have a malted milk in my area. And I went down about three or four stools away from a guy sitting here, just minding my own business, and ordered what I wanted. And uh, he turned to me and he said, you send forth powerful vibrations. I said, would you like me to tell you what it is? <laughs> and I told him about the Holy Ghost. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I want you to lift your hands and let the Holy Ghost speak through you right now. Just everyone that has the Holy Ghost. The Spirit knoweth how to pray. When you do this, there will be miracles of healing among us here tonight in this place. If the Holy Ghost is on you, if you can feel Jesus right now, I want you to stand to your feet if you really feel him. Lift both hands and just continue to worship. That's it, that's it, that's it. Oh, Lord. Oh, 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 Oh,